This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. So uh, welcome to another skill acquisition podcast here at UK Coaching. And this time I've got a fabulous guest. Uh, His name is Todd Hargrove. And we're going to talk a little bit more about um, maybe some of the issues that aren't seem completely obvious from a skill acquisition perspective so we're going to talk a little bit about sort of developing anti-fragility and understanding a little bit more about maybe what is good and and not good posture and how we think about just that sort of whole side of um, movement being again more anti-fragile so um, um, welcome to the podcast Todd and uh, Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Quick introduction. Uh, I live here in Seattle. I'm a massage therapist. I do deep tissue massage. I'm also a Feldenkrais practitioner. That's kind of a mindful movement practice. And I see people who want to move better and feel better. I see people with pain. I see, see people who want to get better at a sport. I've been writing a blog for years about uh, the science and practice of these uh, two things. I've written a couple books as well. I sometimes do talks and here I am. <laughs> Great, thank you. And one of the reasons why I've invited you here is because one of your books uh, is one that I've had recommended many times to me and and, and I have now bought numerous copies uh, because I, I think it's, it's such a, a great um, introduction to this whole topic of um, movement, functional movement. Uh, the one that, that I bought is Playing With Movement. And uh, I'm just really understanding um, that whole sort of wider context of why this fits into skill acquisition. So I, I would really like to start just by asking you what your motivation was for writing the books. I know it's just one of a few. Is it three? <laughs> I, I've, I've written two books, but but this one kind of comes out of an experience I had kind of respecting the complexity of what I was trying to uh, to do with people, the, the complexity of pain, the complexity of movement. So when I went to school and what I was taught is that when someone comes into you and it hurts in a particular area, you can kind of take them through a series of objective tests to identify the one thing that's causing a problem and then do some sort of a correction to fix that one thing in relative isolation from all the other things. So if someone's back hurts, you can kind of objectively measure their posture or their movement and say, aha, that's the problem. You're, you're slumping like this. That's causing the pain. And I can do this correction to make you get like this. And that's going to solve the problem. Uh, and after a while, I realized that it's a lot more complex than that. It's very hard to pick the one reason that someone's having pain because pain's a multifactorial thing. Your cognitions affect it, your anxieties, all different kinds of complex movements, the conditions of the tissue, the sensitivity of the nervous system. Uh, And therefore, most pain will actually be considered nonspecific, especially low back pain. You're not going to be able to find the one thing that's wrong with it or correct uh, any one thing in isolation from the other things because they're all interrelated. Uh, So what I realized when you look closer at the research is that uh, most of the time when people uh, get better from pain, they're just kind of improving their their general health, uh, especially with low back pain. So there's lots of different things that work to help people with pain, getting moving in lots of different ways, doing Pilates, doing uh, 
stabilization exercise, doing skill acquisition exercise, mind-body stuff, all this stuff tends to help. Uh, and so um, your, your approach to, to solving the problem has to be very individual, context-dependent. You have to explore lots of different areas. Uh, and this idea that you can fix things the way we fix a bike or fix a car that's broken it doesn't respect the complexity and variability of the body. That's kind of the general message. That's, uh, yeah, and that's certainly what comes across from, from, having, um, from having read it. And, and the link into the skill acquisition is the bit that really fascinates me. And, and especially when, when quite, quite often we have coaches worried that they haven't got the perfect way of moving um, and that there is one way to fix something and there is a, um, a very specific posture and they get slightly worried that if they're not doing it perfectly correctly, then, then, then there are going to be problems. Whereas actually um, from the stuff that, that uh, I pick up from your saying is it, we, we don't want to go down that road. Actually, that creates a fragile system. It can. It can. I, it, I think it comes a little bit from looking at the body uh, as a machine, like going back to that uh, car or fixing a car or fixing a bike. Uh, when a machine's moving the right way, it's always moving in exactly the same way each time. Tires should be totally straight and aligned and every joint should always move repetitively in exactly the same way, but bodies are different. Bodies are healthy when they're moving in a variable way and dealing with lots of different uh, contexts. And unlike machines, they adapt to whatever stress is going on. So if you try to make a body or any kind of living thing act like a machine and be always doing the exact repetitive same thing all the time, you actually constrict it, make it less able to learn from experience, uh, less robust, uh, and you don't give it the chance to adapt to stress, which makes it stronger. So like, for example, with posture, some people with posture get the idea that there's one perfect way to stand and they need to constantly be bracing themselves and always be upright. That's not comfortable. That's not authentic. That's not the kind of posture that's going to make you responsive to different situations. Good posture means uh, being in one position at one time and another position at another time. And just being kind of stiff and upright uh, is going to make you less functional and less comfortable. And I think we kind of know that intuitively. No one wants to be rigid as a board all the time. So if I, if I sort of take that posture um, uh, subject a little, bit, a little bit further, then I'm thinking about actually posture in movement because that's different again, isn't it? That quite often when we're talking about um, – athletic ability and skill acquisition we're talking about more of a dynamic posture and a posture during movement and there you know often I'll see sort of you know you can have a look at a picture and you go that there's centrifugal forces and there's all sorts of stuff going on here and if you take a snapshot it might not look at all um, like our nice tidy correct posture yeah it's very dynamic it's very context dependent it's very different for one individual and another individual so the right posture for one person might be the wrong posture for, for a different person, given differences uh, in their anatomy. And just the message is, is not that posture doesn't matter. It really does matter. But it's very hard to use uh, objective measures of static positions 
as a way to find out what's right or wrong in the way you're posturing your, yourself, because it is so dynamic, it is so complex, it is so context dependent and changing minute to minute. Oh, Marianne, I can't hear you right now. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I've left, uh, I left the mute on. So I'll take that out. Um, I, I, I loved, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the exact quote, but you had a quote in your book about posture, like that it is important, you know, because trying to move without, without functional posture rather than this perfect posture is like trying to write with a bendy pencil. <laughs> with a bendy pencil, yeah, yeah. Posture, you don't want to get the idea that posture doesn't matter. It definitely matters, but we don't want to overestimate our ability to diagnose postural dysfunctions in people and prescribe corrections. Again, because it's individual and it's complex. And what's, what's good and bad is a very uh, dynamic, rhythmic, context-dependent thing, not a simple thing that's easy to measure. Cool. So if you could you just expand a little bit on this idea of anti-fragile or anti-fragility then in relation to movement and posture? Yeah, I kind of go back to the machines idea again. So machines uh, can you, often are not are, are kind of fragile and not that robust in that there's not a lot of redundancy in, in uh, their structure. So if one thing goes wrong in a machine, the whole thing might fail. So the space shuttle uh, exploded because one O-ring went wrong. But in the body, uh, it's, it's designed to be extremely robust. So like cl classic example, a lot of great athletes have played in Super Bowls and in pro sports without a functioning ACL at all. They find this out later. Uh, now you don't want to do that, it's not a good idea, but the fact that it can be done at all shows that there's a lot of redundancy built into the way we do things in the body, structurally and functionally. So this idea that we always need to have everything be perfect all the time or that one little flaw is going to cause you to total break, totally break down doesn't respect the way the body actually works, which is that there are many roads to Rome. There's many structures that can help you. There's many different functions and coordination patterns that can get the same thing done. And the important thing is to be able to do the same thing in lots of different ways, to have that variability. That's what makes you able to deal with different situations and hand up to handle different stresses. And when you get this idea that there's only one way to do things and it has to be done the perfect way, uh, you're kind of restricting people from developing the variability that contributes to being robust and anti-fragile. Thanks. That's... that's um... And, and I guess the younger somebody is as well, the, the more important that variability is, particularly if they're growing and changing and they're, they're, you know, there's an awful lot of, there's going to be an awful lot of variability in them through that yeah. process. Yeah, learning. If you're early in that learning stage, you, you want to move in many, many, many different ways. And yeah. when you start honing in on the perfect technique, you're, you're going to be more, a little bit more restricted in what you're doing, but you really want to uh, explore yeah, yeah. And I guess even somebody who's doing something, I'm just trying to think about maybe things like gymnastics that would start to get quite fine. Even there, we want enough variability so that if they do move outside of their perfect technique, it's not the first time that's happened and that they're able to come back. Absolutely. They're not fragile around the edges of them getting it yeah. right. That, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you need to explore your boundaries because you're, you're going to come up against them at some point. And that raises the question of risk. There's always some risk 
in going uh, to a boundary, but there's risk in not going to the boundary as well. And if we strike the balance in favor of you always must walk in this very narrow road, uh, you're preventing people from doing the stuff that teaches them where the limits are and, and what happens when you get there. That, and that leads really nicely, actually, I think, into the, 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 the bit that I'm thinking about next, which is, that, well, there's, there's two aspects. I think one bit of it is I know as people get older, they that, that boundary tends to reduce because they don't want to take the risks of moving to the edges. Um, and, and also, I think there are many people I speak to, um, coaches and parents, who started to get worried that... Um, if they're not moving themselves or they're not making or, or supporting their children to move in a perfect posture that somehow they're going to break them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's a really useful thing to explore a little bit. Yeah. I think there's a lot of well-intentioned <clears throat> advice out there <clears throat> based on biomechanics, which might point out that, you know, they might, you might make the accurate, um, you might note, note accurately that when your knees go past your toes, there's additional stress on the knees. Uh, and for some people who have sensitive knees, maybe it's a good strategy to have to kind of work to keep the knees a little bit further back because that reduces the stress. However, if you kind of like start moving in a way where your knees never go past the toes, you're going to start losing your capacity to do that. And it's really a pretty normal movement. It comes up all the time in sports. It comes up all the time in life. You might need to cut back on it a little bit for a while, but you need to start reclaiming that territory. So, same with lots of other things, like maybe bending a lot in the low back as you, as you reach down to pick something up or twisting in a certain way. Can those be a little bit more stressful than other ways of moving? Yes, but if you avoid them too much, you'll start to lose the ability to do it all. So that's so we're 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 sort of exploring the idea that we can, um, you know, that we want. Um, I mean, I always think about you know, like how much fidgeting am I doing? So for me. For me, I kind of have a fidget monitor and I've created my office to have a, to be a fidget space instead of this perfect posture space, yeah. um, which which aligns up nicely. It's just like, I, if I keep moving, that's kind of the really important bit and not to, and, and, and if I slouch for one minute, that's fine because I'm not staying in a slouch and then I might sit up straight and then I might stand and I try and stand yeah. a bit and then I've got my wobble board and then I might lie down, but I'm trying to keep moving and I'm going to trust that my central nervous system, although I might not know what's going on under the hood, has got a pretty good idea about, you know, uh, maybe downing the power of objecting if I go into a position that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, we can. I think we've built up uh, some fear about uh, certain positions that are going to hurt you. Like there's a fear that if you, that if you slouch, that's a really bad thing. Now, as you said, you don't want to do that all day long and then never get here. Uh, but I've definitely had clients that have come to me with the misunderstanding that even spending a little bit of time in a slouch position is something they should avoid. They are avoiding it. Uh, that that idea has kind of gotten down, down deep into their uh, ideas of right and wrong, and it's making them stiff as a result. And, and I guess that's where we link back into the skill acquisition, because if we've got people who are being um, who are avoiding different movements and becoming really stiff, then we start to see a reduction in mobility and and then possibly um, too much um, re re sort of a repetitive strain within certain parts of the system. And like you say, we start to lose a wider functionality and we maybe get a little bit more um, uh, uh, 
fragile in a way that if we do have a slip or a trip or something, our body can't recover from being in that place that we haven't taken it to for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you get a, if you get a preconceived idea that the movement solutions are right here where the textbook is, you're missing out on the possibility of finding solutions outside of what the textbook recommends. I've, I've been trying to learn golf recently and looking at some of the, the really weird swings that are on tour. And sometimes I hear the comment, I'm glad a coach didn't get to this guy when he was really young. He may, maybe he would have stopped him from, from exploring this weird swing that actually was the best solution for him. And it's the same thing with pain. There are solutions to uh, our, our painful problems that are outside of what the textbook tells us to do. You don't want to get too narrow. You do need to explore so um, I, I guess, again, that's, that leads us, that segues really nicely into, you know, are there some um, sort of tips or, or, or some guidelines in terms of if you're not sure if the way someone's moving is, is, is robust, you know, like how can you tell that? I mean, maybe it's like spinal alignment and then if you're not sure, don't load kind of thing. I mean, what, what would your... Yeah. I guess I would say it's very, you know, it's very context dependent. It's very individual. Uh, you know, you, if you have experience in getting people to do movements where you know some risk, you'll get, you know, kind of a sense over time about what people can do and what people can't do, like how much to put on the bar and whether their posture is okay. Uh, I think just as a general rule, the only thing that I would say is that uh, I think that there is, you know, this this kind of well-intentioned but uh, uh, biased kind of creeping into to movement practices all over the place where we're too worried about people moving in the exact right way in the textbook. And we don't want, and there's the idea that we want to make sure people don't get hurt. They need to do everything with perfect form. There's a risk if they go outside of that form, but there's also a risk if they don't explore, there's also a risk if they don't, uh, you know, put themselves under stress and take some risks. I mean, like at my school, sometimes that the, 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 uh, the teachers will tell the kids, don't do too much rough housing. Don't uh, play in the trees. Don't be too rough. Don't run around too fast. Can they get hurt doing those things? For sure. But it's also risky for them not to do those things because they'll never know where the limits are or, or develop the skills that come with taking risks. So yeah. it's, Hard to figure out, but that, that those are kind of the considerations, you know. Yeah, I, I guess so. And it's it's the 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 important thing is for for coaches to um, to not be scared to be be a little bit more exploratory and and to maybe recognize that, uh, like you say, if they're not putting masses of weight into something or drilling it. Um, then they're probably okay, and if and and if the individual is moving freely, they're likely to be exploring boundaries that, or they should be exploring boundaries that are safe for them. <laughs> yeah. Actually, when yeah. our systems are quite good at protecting us, you know, we tend to slow down or brace or um, be unsure, um, even if we're not sure why. What, when when there's a bit of threat, you know, I always think that that um, I watch people playing rugby and goalkeepers and think that they the fact they can override the um, throwing themselves 
out of balance. <laughs> Most normal human beings don't do that. You know, your central nervous system goes, that's a really dumb idea. That that you have to learn to be able to do that. They have to become really skillful at landing just for their body to to say, yeah, okay, I'll let you throw yourself at great speed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, personally, I'm, I'm very inhibited in playing uh, soccer. Uh, I, I, I can't do certain things because of the fear that's there. So the fear of getting hurt is always there in any sport and it needs to be calibrated to the right level to protect you, but also allow you to do the things that you want to do. It's kind of, it's, it's very related to skill acquisition because you can't have any skill if you're, if you're, if you're of all of, you're totally trying to protect yourself. And sometimes that's a reasonable fear and sometimes it's not. And you need to help the athlete negotiate that. It's very hard to do. Yeah, I, I actually, I, you just reminding me of, um, I had um, surgery on one of my knees um, um, because I'd, I'd completely shredded the meniscus and I hadn't realized, I knew it was kind of like catching a little bit and then suddenly it just blew up. And what had happened is that I'd, I'd basically sh- pinched the shredded bit so that it was loose and it had just gone walkabout behind my patella bursa. Um, and so my knee was huge all the time and I couldn't lock it. I couldn't do anything with it. It was really interesting. But surgery, brilliant, amazing. You know, walked out of there. It took so long. I had I had to do a lot of stuff just for my brain to let me use that knee again. I realized every time I sat down on a chair and stood up, I did a, a, a one-legged pistol squat, basically, with the other leg. And making myself load that limb again was the, the challenge. You had to prove to yourself that it was safe. It took a lot of proving. Yeah. And so I did do things like I went, I went stand-up paddleboarding, actually. That was really good because it kind of, you know, it, it, it wasn't taking outside of a big, wide variation, but there was so much variability. It was just moving constantly and it had to load. Otherwise, it, I'd fall off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you had to get rid of the, the fear was there for a good reason, yeah. but you had to get rid of it to be able to move normally again. Yeah, so it just really brought home that that actually something like that in terms of our sort of like skillfulness, often it's it's just reconnecting with that movement capacity. It wasn't that you didn't have the skill, it was that your nervous system wasn't allowing you to use it because it was yeah. afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and I wasn't even aware of that until I started noticing, which was right. fascinating. Right. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So I think um, I, that's a nice place to wrap up that and, and just really um, probably uh, summarize that that sort of posture that, you know, there is no perfect posture. We want post- postures functional and, um, you know, and actually posture in a particular moment in time for a particular individual for a particular outcome could look very different for different people. Um, that clearly is important because our posture kind of like it kind of holds everything together which is why I love that thing about you know if you don't have a functional posture it's like having a floppy pencil it kind of it does matter but it but it isn't we're not we're not a machine you can't um, write anything <laughs> yes uh, think about anti-fragility if we're going to go somewhere it might be good that we've been there before you know so perhaps you know recognizing that there are like you say there's more than one road to Rome and we want our bodies to be able to move in lots of different ways and come back from that and 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 be fine doing that because they it's used to it and it, yeah and if you're not sure don't add a big heavy load 
on something or if you're not sure just just make sure that there's lots of variability in terms of um movement outcomes like i say that that lots of different ways to achieve something so that we keep that redundancy well i know that's a bit of a long word but we'll keep it in there that we've got redundancy there's lots of different where our body can can achieve the same thing in many different ways yeah so anything you'd like to add to that summary um i think that's a good summary brilliant thank you thank you so much todd it's been an absolute pleasure and um yeah i and i've loved your books thank you thanks for having me (laughs) thanks join us at ukcoaching.org whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you 